you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful to have your valuable word in our hands and in our lives. And so thankful for the guidance that you gave us through your word and through your spirit. Thank you for saving the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Heavenly Father that you'll continue want to take for us as we journey in our faith on this earth until open our eyes, O Lord, open our hearts and help us to hear your words and to perceive what you're saying, that we will not be trapped or stumble or fall away. In this name we pray, amen. Jesus, with a very short time left, before going back to heaven, gave his disciples some important information as how they are to handle things and what to expect for the trouble that's ahead for them. In verse 1, he gave the reason for the things he spoke about. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. There are things in life, experiences, can throw a believers in Christ off course in their journey of faith. And if they're not careful to abide in Christ, abide in his words, and abide in his love, they will run into trouble. The purpose for the things that Jesus said and he talks about for them is to carry out his mission while he's gone. In chapter 15, Jesus focused on what the disciples were to do. In chapter 16, Jesus focused on the purpose, what God would do. Jesus said, he and the Father will send help. The helper, who is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, will replace Jesus' physical body. To bear witness of him with convincing proof and to empower the disciples as they proclaim the gospel. In verse 2, the Lord described some of the specific persecution the disciples would face in the coming days because of the proclamation. The first one he mentioned is excommunication. To be an outcast and excommunicated from the synagogue meant far more than merely forbidden to attend religious services. Those who were excommunicated from the synagogue were cut off from all religious, social, economic aspects 
of the Jewish society. They were counted as a nobody. They were branded as traitors to their people, to the God of Israel, to their family, their neighbors, to their employers. They were marginalized. And so, you, when you take a stand for your faith in Jesus among people, even from your own household, friends, work environment, and social, and the list goes on, you will face the same. The second thing Jesus said has to do with religious persecution. Whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. The Christian would, the Christian faith would be so hated that those who sought to stamp it out would think they're pleasing God. Now before the Apostle Paul's conversion, he said this in Acts 26. Verses 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues. And tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. After Paul's conversion. Almost in every city. The hater became the hated. The hunter became the hunted. The persecutor became the persecutor. And he wrote 13 epistles after in Testament. Convinced of the proof that Jesus, what Jesus claimed, is true. Now from the inception of the church, the followers of Christ have always faced world hostility. The apostles and those closely associated with Jesus endured intense persecution. They were ridiculed, they were scorned, they were hunted down, they were arrested, they were imprisoned. You name it, they faced it. Many paid the ultimate price of death. Christian tradition reveals that Peter, Andrew, and James were crucified. Bartholomew was whipped to death and then crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded as Paul was. Thomas was stabbed with a spear. Mark was dragged to death through the streets of Alexandria. James, the half-brother of Jesus, and Philip were stoned by order of the Sanhedrin. Matthew, Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus, Timothy, and Stephen were killed for their unwavering commitment to Jesus. And up to this present time, followers of Christ must heed the same thing. Have to heed Jesus' words. 
I said these things to you to keep you from falling away. These people, names I mentioned, did not waver. They kept the faith. And they, they felt the prosecution and they faced it. I said these things to you to keep you from falling away. In the times of persecution, we must remember the, the God's word. He can kill the body, but not the soul. And because I live, you will live also. Those are Jesus' words. Under the Roman emperors, thousands of faithful believers were arrested, tortured, and killed because they would not worship Rome's emperor. In A.D. 155, the early church father, Polycarp, was threatened with death by fire for his faith in Christ. Recant, disavow, disavow, they told him. He replied, for 86 years, I've been a servant, and he has done no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? In the book of Hebrews, it continues. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of, of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the earth. Look at the history that the early Christians faced. They did not stumble. They did not fall away. We have it light these days, most of us. The persecution of the true church continues during the Protestants' Reformation from the standpoint of the moral and doctrinal corruption of the Roman Catholic Church. When the Reformers denounced the Catholic system of indulgence and false gospel of works righteousness. Yes, it came from within the church, just like how it came from within the synagogue to the Christians. In many places around the world today, incalculable believers continue to face intense persecution. We don't hear about them on the news much. Now, why do religious opposition commit themselves to such hatred? Why do religious opposition commit themselves to such hatred? Well, verse 3, in verse 3, Jesus gave us the answer. They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. It is far from their comprehension that the Son and the Father are linked in the Godhead. They cannot comprehend that. They will not accept that. Therefore, not to know Christ is to be ignorant of the Father. That's what it boils down to. So the failure to recognize the deity of Christ lay at the root of their hatred. 
The Jews would not receive him, and in so doing, they, re they refused to receive the father. It's like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Many people today have the same problem. They have Jesus derangement syndrome because they cannot understand how God can become a man. The scripture is very clear in Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is our savior. He created the world. That's the one who died for our sins. No wonder death couldn't hold him in the grave. He had to exit the grave. And gave us that hope. The scripture is very clear to those who are rejecting Jesus have never known the Father. They are ignorant of his workings through the Son. God is on their lips for many, but far from their hearts. In verse 4, he said, But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, that is the opposition that will come with hostility, you may remember that I told them to you, so don't stumble and fall away. And then he moves on to verse 5 and 6, and he said, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, though Peter and Thomas had asked him earlier where he was going, the Lord's point here is that their question reflected a concern for themselves of being abandoned as Jesus will be exiting from earth. And verse 5, Jesus seems to express disappointment that the disciples were not interested more in what was ahead of him. Although they had asked in a general way where he was going, they had not seemed too involved, but taken up that he would not be around and were filled with sorrow. Now, during the Lord's three years' ministry with his disciples, he not only protected them, but bore the brunt of the attacks, shielding them. And now the disciples are about to experience the full force of their opposition in their master's absence. So, they had concern. And who wouldn't? So Jesus is preparing them. Did not give them the way of comfort and ease. It's no soft things he's going to say here to them. But being upfront of the hard and the difficult part that lay ahead. He didn't make it easy for them. 
for them to be surprised. He just being upfront and let them know what's coming. And then in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, in other words, however, in spite of being sorrow, that is a small, that is small in comparison of what I will say and the Father and I will do. In other words, you won't handle, you don't go to this all alone. I'll be there with you. Me and the Father are going to be there with you. I know the problem is huge, the hostility will be great, but I will be with you. The Father and I will be with you. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, that's referring back to verse 26, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, again, they would not be left without help. Jesus would send the Holy Spirit in his place as their helper. They would not be left as orphans. This person coming will be to their advantage, Jesus said. The helper would teach them just as he was doing when he was on earth. This helper will empower them, will equip them, will give them the courage and direct them in whatever they have to proclaim in the message, wherever they go. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit had been in the world before this time. But he was coming in a new way to convict the world and to minister to the redeemed. Jesus clearly taught that his saving work on the cross was necessary before the coming of the Holy Spirit, who came on Pentecost, and even we read Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, on that miraculous way that the Holy Spirit came. And in verse 8 to 11, spells out the helper job description. And when he comes... The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will create an inward awareness of the things, of these things in life of the individual sinner. That's what he'll do. When we take stock of our own lives as believers, that's what happened to us, if you recall. In creating this awareness concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, believers are the witnesses, the Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney, and the unsaved are the guilty prisoners. It is important to note that the Holy Spirit comes to the church and not to the world. The Holy Spirit does not work in a vacuum. He works in and through the church. Just as the, just as the Son needs a body in order to do His work on the earth, so the Spirit of God needs a body to accomplish His ministry on earth. And that body is you and I, the church. 
Our bodies are His tools and His temples. And the Holy Spirit is available to use us to glorify Christ and to bring witness to a lost world. Firstly, that Jesus mentioned, the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin. There is a specific sin in mind, and that is not believing in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. This is the only sin ultimately that damns people to hell. Though all men are depraved, cursed by the violation of God's law and sinful by nature, what's damned them to hell is their unwillingness to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior that God offers. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a verse that we quote all the time. It's so easy to remember, but that is a serious verse. Very, very serious. Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom, the thief said on the cross. And Jesus said, Jesus saw his heart. He didn't have time to go down to get baptized and to confess. Jesus saw his heart. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Apart from the Spirit's convicting work, people can never see themselves as sinners and be born again. No one can be saved apart from the Spirit's convicting and regenerated work in their lives. The Bible teaches that all people are by nature rebels against God. They're darkened in their understanding. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. Excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them. Ephesians 4, 18, 19. Because of the hardness of their heart, callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. Colossians 1, 21. And alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, Blinded by Satan so that they cannot understand spiritual truth. Now in those conditions, people are helpless. They are unable to believe the truth and are even guilty of suppressing it. According to Romans 1. This is what the Bible says of man's sinful condition that is unacceptable before God in Romans 3, 10 to 18. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Now many of us in our world will challenge that, what God said. But the problem is, the challenge has to go up to God's standard. We have a different standard. God has a different standard. His standard is holiness.
And here's the extension of humanity, sinful ways. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their parts are ruin and mystery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is the extension of humanity depraved mind and sinfulness. You want to know why many in the world are so vile, wicked, and evil? That is why. That's the world system we live in. And that's the world system that challenges Jesus' message as the people of God proclaims it. Now, whether we grew up with moral values, and I'm pretty sure many of us done, most of us. Whether we grew up with moral values, and, and we thank God for that. The Bible says we are still falling short of God's glory in some way and form. We still. And here's a summary about the Holy Spirit. Is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to penetrate hearts steeped in sin. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin's resistance to the gospel. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring sinners to saving faith. The sole issue that determines people's eternal destiny is how they react to the Spirit's convicting ministry concerning their own sin and the provision of God's forgiveness. It's the Spirit's mission to present the truth about Jesus Christ to the world. And to those who reject the truth will be found guilty and judged. People do not realize in rejecting Jesus, as the Bible teaches, they are eternally damned. So as the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness as well. That's what Jesus said. He says, first, I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. That statement provides the supreme evidence of his righteousness, his acceptance into the Father's presence. Christ's resurrection and ascension place God's seal of approval on Jesus' righteousness. That's why he's going there back. And the righteousness here refers to Jesus Christ by nature as the Holy Son of God. The Savior claimed to be righteous, but his hater said he has a demon. That's how they look at him. The Holy Spirit witnessed to the fact that Christ was right and the world wrong. And as if God is saying, my son is righteous. And I will prove it by raising him from the dead and taking him back to heaven where I sent him. From where I sent him. 
Now, along with the resurrection proof, the Holy Spirit with the Word reveals the standard of God's righteousness to anyone who believes. That is why when we become born again, you do not walk in your old nature. You walk in righteousness, or at least you strive to walk in His righteousness. No one can claim they're born again and then live a life like they've never been born again. If not, you're spiritually dead. So along with the Holy Spirit and the Word reveals the standard of God's righteousness to anyone who believes. The Holy Spirit's purpose here is to expose the darkened heart and shatter the pretension of self-righteous people. The Word of God says self-righteous people, works are like filthy rags. That's what God says. Third, the Holy Spirit convicting the world of judgment. Because the rule of this world is judged, here Jesus speaks of the defeat of Satan, the ruler of this world. The world is under Satan's control. He is the God of this world with a lowercase g. He is the ruler of this world system and has perverted people by turning them against Jesus. Give us Barabbas. That's what they shouted. Give us Barabbas. What is Jesus? Crucify him. We don't want this man around. Jesus' presence convicts them and will convict people today as well. The Holy Spirit's job is to do convicting and he'll keep doing so throughout the church age. That's what he did. Didn't he offer Jesus many things when he was tempting him in the, in the wilderness? Look at the stuff he was offering Jesus. But Jesus holds on to the word of God. That is what he's saying also in like mind manner. When you're going to be, when the hostile people approaching the persecution, remember what I told you. Remember my word. The word is very important. God's word is life. And in saying all of that, Satan is a defeated foe, affected by Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension. It's a done deal. But he lingers around and roams around. The fact that the Holy Spirit is here means that the devil has already been condemned at the cross. And all who refuse the Savior will share Satan's awful judgment in a day yet in the future. Satan has already been judged and the verdict announced. And his final sentence will be executed at the end of the millennium. It's coming. Right now he's on a leash. Only can go so far. God brought him back. The warning to those who reject Jesus Christ... And are embracing the world system will not escape since its ruler, Satan, 
will not escape judgment. As the leader goes, so will the followers of Satan. The devil faith guarantees the judgment of every unrepentant sinner. There are two responses to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance or rejection. Those who reject the Spirit's conviction, their end is eternal damnation. Away from the presence of God and from the glory of His power. And to those who repent when the Spirit convicts, will spend eternity in an inexpressible glory with joy in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. Now as we bring this message to a close, what are some things to take note of? What are some things to take note of? Well, witnessing comes with persecution. Witnessing comes with persecution. Witnessing is empowering, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Witnessing needs prayer. And we learn that from the Apostle Paul. We need to adhere, adhere to the Apostle request in Ephesians 6.19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chain. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. And it's good for us to be reminded also that rejecting the Son is rejecting the Father. And it comes with severe consequence. Rejecting the Son is not a good idea. It's damaging. John 5, 24 said, The Son does the judgment with the Father. For the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The Son is the judge. We look at the scripture before. The Son is the creator. God created through him, through the word. The Son is the judge. The Son is the savior. Every human being's souls will live forever. There's no such thing as annihilation. Uh-uh. Every human being's soul will live forever. And it is the personal responsibility of every human being to determine where they will spend eternity. It's our responsibility. Believers in Christ are so blessed to spend eternity in glory with Jesus. But what about you? Who haven't accepted Jesus Christ in your life as your personal Savior and Lord. 
What about you? Have you been touched by Jesus? If not, today is the day you can give your life to Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your saving grace in Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. And thank you, O Lord, for your word. Amen.